Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. All right, everyone, welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You can check us out on forwardthinkingchiro.com. We also have a Facebook group uh, in Facebook. If you didn't know what a Facebook group is, you can search Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. And you can join us there if you're not already in the FTCA. So our partners and sponsors, we have sponsors such as the Jane App, the Smart Chiropractor, China Gel, the T-Tool, chiroup.com, Drop Release, the Chiropractic Success Academy, Conquer Cleaner and InReach Health, Gestalt Education, Hyperice, of course, and then our partners. They are uh, entities, uh, organizations, missions that we support. One is World Spine Care. Check them out at worldspinecare.org. We do have a, uh, what would you call it? A fundraiser, a a. All proceeds go to Virtual Summit for World Spine Care coming up soon with some great presenters uh, from, obviously, from around the globe, evidence-based medicine, evidence-based chiropractic, and we're going to be launching that soon, so stay tuned. And we also support the Carl Research Fellows at the Chiropractic Academy of Research Leadership, and they are responsible for producing the researchers in our profession for tomorrow. So definitely whenever you hear anything from the Carl Research Fellows, your ears and eyes should perk up and pay attention to what they have to say. They're doing great work. So our guest today on the podcast is Dr. Stratton Paulson, and he is the owner. He's an owner. How does it feel to be an owner of something, by the way? It feels pretty good, especially (laughs) this early. He is the owner of Apex Chiropractic in Dallas, Texas. Uh, It's solo docs. We're going to be talking about a, a lot about solo practitioner, solo ownership today. No staff, all cash practice, and he's been open since late 2021. So you've definitely hit a one-year anniversary. We're going to talk about all that kind of stuff. I want to talk about early launching. I want to talk about what it's like to be what I call a lone wolf. I want to talk about getting off the ground fast and getting into business quick and all those sort of things. Uh, but first and foremost, Dr. Paulson, Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. His name is Stratton Paulson. His name is Stratton Paulson. <laughs> you know, they used to uh, compare the FTCA to like the to Fight Club. <laughs> so that's that reference there. I'm the perfect guest then. Yeah, man. And it was like, uh, and I was the Tyler Durden because I was all over the place. So I never slept. And there were like little FTCAs popping up all over the country, like little clubs and little organizations. Uh, but now we do have student clubs at a lot of campuses and it has turned into some sort of like little club that's grown grown beyond its reach at this point. Um, it's really cool for me to be able to be on the FTCA podcast with you because it's kind of full circle. I used to listen to the podcast when I was a student. I remember going to go do laps around my local park and just listening to podcasts, trying to learn and absorb. And so it's really cool to have come around now being in practice and to be able to be on the, the show with you. So I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here. Let me ask you something. Uh, for my own personal sort of observational research of young Kairos, the ones that I'm always curious if there's some sort of, uh, I guess you would say like recipe, not a secret sauce, but there's just some sort of way of being, some sort of personality base, some sort of thing that makes young docs who get off the ground fast different than the ones who don't. I want to know what, who you are, like what your life is like, like, did you, are you traditionally got out of high school, went to undergrad, got an undergrad, went to chiropractic school, got out of chiropractic school, started a business, or are you more untraditional, unconventional? I'm definitely more of an unconventional, non-traditional approach to, to the whole profession. So I was, I do say kind of that my background gave me a little bit of an unfair advantage when it comes to starting a practice and just doing chiropractic in general. I was a lifelong martial artist. And so the kind of physical skill was very easy to adapt over. Absolutely. And then I was a massage therapist for 13 years before becoming a chiropractor. Um, so like I, I graduated high school, 
um, a little bit early, not really because I was particularly brilliant, but because there was a way for me to get out of there faster. Yeah. And I went to massage school and started that, um, got my license on my 18th birthday. And so I did that. Um, I went to undergrad for psychology originally, and about two years into my undergrad, decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I'd better get out of college and stop spending money. So I left uh, school, went back into the workforce, did massage full time, opened up a you know solo practitioner massage practice. And I ran that for about 10 years. And then I got to that point where I was, I knew that I could do more for people. I wanted to do more for people. I'd taken all the CEs that I could stand to take and I needed another step. So I was looking into physical therapy, looking into chiropractic, looking into osteopathy and uh, ended up getting injured in jujitsu. This is the, I guess the age old chiropractic story is I got injured, went to a chiropractor. I felt better. And I decided I wanted to be. How dare you with that story, that fake made up story. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd I'd gotten thrown in practice and uh, you know, we wouldn't say threw a rib out, but that's how I understood it back then. Sure. Um, went to just the joint, which I'm actually not that big of a critic of the joint. I think the joint is fantastic for what it is. Um, got adjusted a couple of times, felt 100% better. And it was to the point where I was not able to practice. And uh, I was worried about a competition that was coming up. So I felt so much better. And up until then, I kind of thought chiropractors were witch doctors. They weren't real doctors. I just didn't really have much respect for the profession. And my whole viewpoint shifted that day. And I started looking into it. And I said, hey, Parker University, which is where I went. That's my alma mater right here in my backyard because I already lived in Dallas. And I was like, well, my chiropractic school is right down the street, maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes away. Uh, let's do it. So I went back, finished my undergrad, did pre-DC, and then started at Parker. But so um, I definitely had some gap there. It was definitely not like high school to undergrad to graduate. And so I think that was very helpful for me in just being able to get a little bit more real-world experience, have practice running a cash-based business model that does manual therapy as the primary yes. you know, revenue generator. And then um, that all just kind of came together for me beautifully in chiropractic school um, to the point where I felt confident enough when I was graduating that I was like, all right, well, let's just go ahead and open up. Yeah, it, you have confirmed my biases or my, bi- my confirmation bias has been confirmed. The, in my larger observation of new docs who go out on their own and just sort of take that leap that you took it seems to be the ones that have had an unconventional path towards the DC degree are the ones that most likely are successful. Now, I don't want anyone who is on a traditional path to hear this and say that they cannot be successful. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in my observations, the ones who've been unconventional have had a much better go of it. And I think there's something to it. It's for you, definitely. It's you've had the previous experience of a cash-based manual therapy practice and how to build that and how to care for people for, for a decade too. So it's not like, there was any short-term run at it, but I've seen people who've been welders. Um, I've seen people who've been nurses, uh, teachers, educators, all these non-traditional paths towards the DC degree have had such a better run at it in my observation than folks that just have gone straight through. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's experience like life experience. I don't know if it's perspective. I don't know if it's the expectations of the traditional student and what they think the chiropractic career is versus a standard career. Like people, you know, they get through college and they're like, okay, so now give me a job. Then I'm going to work a job. And this just is not a job, especially if you're going to own a practice. That's one of the huge things I think is is perspective for sure. But also the fact that you kind of have to have an understanding that the likelihood that you go out and land a nice cushy six figure job with benefits and dental is just, it's the reality is for most of us, it's not there. Here's what I think it is. I don't want to interrupt you, but here's what I think it is. I think you work something like you work uh, your massage practice or like I said before, welding or teaching or whatever. And you get to a certain point there where you're part of my French. You're going to say, I don't want to do this shit anymore. And you see this thing that you do want to do chiropractic. I'm going to do that. And you, you're already, you're willing to go through the gauntlet and say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to do that because I don't want to do this shit anymore. And I think the traditional students haven't had that that moment in their life where they're like i don't want to do this shit anymore because they've just been doing what the world has been telling them to do and jumping through the hoops 100 percent. and i think what also goes into that is choosing it for yourself you know i was never yeah. a particularly good student i was never particularly hard studying dedicated even through chiropractic school it's mostly a bc student so you know i'm not the guy that you want to copy off of on your tests but you know 
when I was in high school, I was not a good student because I wasn't interested in anything. I didn't want to be there. In undergrad, I wasn't really interested. I didn't want to be there. So I wasn't performing well. After having time in the workforce and then choosing that I wanted to come back for chiropractic, I performed better in a lot of my courses in chiropractic school than I'd ever done before. And I was more motivated. Like I was reading books about technique and clinical assessment, reading books about business and doing all these things outside of the standard curriculum, because I, in my mind, this was a four-year kind of holding program to get my degree and do what I wanted to do. So I wanted to make sure I had the information I needed to do that. And I think that perspective of being really happy to be somewhere and like being driven to be somewhere can be hard to have when you've gone, you've kind of been pushed through the cog wheel of life, so to speak, straight from high school to undergrad to grad. Yeah. And I'm sure that the the whole path doesn't define you either. I mean, a lot of people are very, especially the ones that have chose a unique path. They're all, they're always unique individuals, always, Uh, even if they're sort of cut straight, you know, wearing a tie and collar and there's still, if you interview them or you talk to them long enough, it's a very unique, they're always unique individuals who chose this different path. And I think you nailed it when you say you look at chiropractic the second time around, you're like, I want that. I want to do that. That's a lot different type of person than someone who sort of falls into it. And those, you know, we might at times rail against the quote unquote straight chiropractor, but they have a legitimate gripe when they gripe against the evidence informed chiropractors. You know, you hear it online all the time. Like you guys just wanted to be, you want to be MDs or you couldn't make it to PT school. Like you fell into this. Like there's a truth to that where a lot of straight chiropractors choose chiropractic as their, as the thing that they need to do to take care of people. Like you said, they choose the path versus the, there's a lot of the evidence informed chiropractors that sort of fall into it. I think if you fall into anything, you're just as liable to fall out of it. But if you choose a thing and then you burn all the bridges along the way there's no there's no going back yeah you you definitely can't argue that some of the more like vitalistic straight chiropractors they definitely have the courage of their convictions and so there's there's no doubt in their mind that they're going to go to school they're going to learn the skill they're going to open that high volume practice they're going to see 400 people you know a a week or whatever it is and they're going to you know just bring that chiropractic philosophy to the masses and then they go out and they do it and so you know, I, I really think that there's something admirable about that, not necessarily about the way that they go about it all the time, but there's something admirable to having the courage of your convictions and then going out there and making it happen. And I wish that we could inspire more of that fire or whatever it is in the evidence-informed community, because I want our practitioners to be as successful and as on fire as some of those docs, because what trickles down is that kind of image of success. So you You get students who are young and impressionable and they just want to be successful. And you have this figurehead who has this booming practice. It's incredible. They're driving the Ferrari. They've got the, you know, everything that goes along with it. And then what ends up happening is the students get that kind of philosophy baked into it in their pursuit of success. And so if we can hold up this alternative model, here are very successful, very ethical, very evidence-informed practitioners as examples, we we can help students actually end up where they where they ought to end up based on their beliefs and their personality types is kind of the way I see it. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got to re- remove the large masses of people that just constantly compare themselves to other professions. Like, I don't, I don't know a lot of vitalistic ch- chiropractors that are throwing up that, like we get as much hours of education as MDs poster everywhere they go to hopefully feel like they're validated somewhere. Like they've got plenty of their own self-validation. Yeah, the evidence-based chiros are running around like we're just like PTs and we're 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 MDs too, and it's like, how about you just be a chiropractor and just live it, love it, and do the job, man. Just do a good job. And I can I can identify with it because you know I think I have my little white coat that I got in school and I had it hanging on the coat rack in my office, just visible. I wouldn't wear it, but just visible for some extra kind of cultural authority for the first few months of practice. And for me, that was almost like an emotional crutch. Like, no, I am actually a doctor. I'm a real doctor. I'm, I'm really helping people here. And a few months in, I think it was maybe four months, six months in, I finally started to feel like I had enough of that internal confidence in my own skills as a chiropractor that I didn't need to have the white coat on the wall anymore. And I don't, you know, it's like, you know, you don't want to be that guy who introduces yourself. No, no, it's, it's doctor. 
person, right? right? Like <laughs> you want to exude that confidence on your own, not try and 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 wear items or um, adopt kind of monikers that give you that confidence and authority. And so it can take a while, I think, for new new grads to come into their own and be proud of being a chiropractor um, to where those insults like, oh, you're not a real doctor and stuff like that. They just don't sting as much because you're like, okay, that's fine. I'm happy with what I am. Yeah, totally. So let me ask you another historical question about you and your education specifically. At, At what point did you actually start researching, studying, or really dedicating yourself to the idea that you were going to be practicing on your own right away out of school? So it actually was fairly late in the game, I guess, since um, when you look at the scheme of chiropractic school, I had kind of always wanted to uh, do my residency at the the VA. And I did, I guess you can call it a residency or a, uh, your externship or your CBI. Uh So I did my final one at the, the VA hospital and I really enjoyed my time there. But that did kind of solidify for me that I didn't want to do that as my career the way that I thought I did. So my kind of like goalposts for the majority of chiropractic school was I want to work in an integrated hospital setting with the other healthcare providers. I want to be a chiropractor at the VA. And after having that experience, I loved getting to work with the veterans and people who were in a lot of pain and chronic pain and stuff like that was very valuable. But there's so much bureaucracy and red tape and there's not as much ease of cross-referral as you would think there would be when I'm directly across the hall from the PT department. And so I thought, well, I already know how to run a manual therapy-based business from my time as a massage therapist. And if I'm not going to go get a job at the VA, I'd better figure my, my stuff out, so to speak, and get opened up. And so it was right there at the very end of school that I went, oh, well, I, I need to figure this out now. And I think part of that expedience um, is what led me to this model. Instead of opening a larger office with more staff, more overhead, I was like, let's go back to where we're really comfortable. No one helping out, no one doing the therapy but me, all cash. And what we'll do is we'll swap massage therapy as a service for chiropractic as a treatment. And we'll just see if we can make that run without the wheels falling off. And that's, that's kind of how I got to where I'm at now. Great. Uh, I think that, I think that will conclude all of my background investigation before I make an <laughs> assumption and start asking questions based on the assumption. Um, make sure you don't get my FBI background checked back before the interview is over. <laughs> <laughs> I wait, it's due. It's due. Uh, okay. So then, uh, no, I do have one more background question. How many people converted from your massage practice into chiropractic patients? Were you able to convert people right away? I was able to convert a few, but not many. This is one of my biggest regrets is that, so I still worked in my massage practice throughout school, but as I got further and further into school, I had to pull those hours back and back and back. And as you restrict your hours and you're not available for people when you used to be available for them, a large portion of my massage clientele ended up falling by the wayside over the course of the kind of three and a half, four years. So it got to the point where I had maybe five or six kind of core clients who I was working on either every week or every other week. And they did roll over. Some of them decided that they didn't like adjustments or they didn't like what chiropractic was. And I worked on them for the first few months. I was still doing some massages and some chiropractic when I first opened before I stopped doing massages completely. And when I stopped doing massages, pretty much all my massage clients just went by the wayside with them. So my practice is pretty much entirely new patients that are there for chiropractic. Um, I probably could have, in hindsight, managed the rollover better, or there's probably something, right? There's always something you can do better than you did. Yeah, sure. Um, But no. So I I had a little, like a a few patients in the beginning that rolled over for a couple of treatments, but nobody, nobody stuck. Okay. So now we can remove all those assumptions, even from the listener's ears. We we don't have somebody who was a legacy. We don't have somebody who uh, had a huge massage practice and rolled them into chiro. There was no there's no silver spoon here. There was somebody who went to school and decided they wanted to start their own practice right out of school. And they started off with a bang, would you say? Or did yeah. you start off with a whimper? It started off okay. I mean, so the, the first month I started on the 19th of September. So we're already towards the end of the month. I had about 17 new patients in that kind of 10, 10 day-ish span before the end of the month. And I brought in maybe about 3000 in revenue. So we, we had enough. We were still in the red technically from opening. It cost me about $8,000 um, 
to just get open. So like tables, equipment, everything sure. just to get the space open. Um, going into the next month, October, we had about 21 new patients. And this was just through kind of your traditional talking to people. Hey, I'm, I'm a chiropractor now. You should come in and trying to get as many people who I saw at the student clinic to come into my practice as possible. Well, you shouldn't make I... this basic. You shouldn't claim that any of this stuff is basic because most of the people in your position that are coming out and starting on their own, and I know quite a few of them from the Chiropractic Success Academy as well, despite, you know, despite what we tell people, they don't do it anyways. And you know, we do tell people to talk and maybe introduce yourself to your community and say, I'm open. And they still don't do that, but that's a different story. 17 new patients in what, uh, two weeks, three weeks? From the, right, from right the when the door opened to the 30th. Yeah, basically right when the door opened for about maybe 10 days or 11 days. I'm yeah, not sure the calendar math on that. Your compatriots aren't getting 17 new patients when they first open in two months, three months, four months. I don't know. So you're going to boggle some people's minds when I ask you, how'd you do that? And you say pretty basic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but it's basic to me. And, and the reason why is because from what I do now, which what I do now is mostly content marketing, social media marketing. And this is where I would say things start to get a little complicated. They start to have bells and whistles. There starts to be a lot of moving parts. And so for me, the way that practices have been basically launched and run for forever of like in-person events, in-person referrals, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, like the, the boots on the ground kind of bootstrapping method, it obviously works. And that's what I tried to do as much as possible in the first few months of my practice. Um, I never really did in-person events, but I was able to get some patients into the student clinic. I did my best to try and roll them from the student clinic into my physical clinic since I opened in the same city that I went to school in. And then I have a lot of massage therapist colleagues or friends um, from my time as a massage therapist. And so I just invited everybody in to try out chiropractic that hadn't tried chiropractic before and tried to fill my practice with other massage therapists sure. so that I could just get some type of base level of patient base to get the thing rolling. Um, it wasn't until about the, my fourth month in practice where I really got the social media marketing rolling. And that's where we saw the big jump. So December of 2021, uh, 56 new patients as I started my social media marketing strategies with content marketing. And from December of 21 to date, um, actually, this is the very first month that I've had less than 50 new patients in a month since opening, and I had 49, so just barely missed it. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of what I'm known for is, is the 50 patients or more a month. I think August, I had 90 new patients from social media, and it's, it's basically all social media and content marketing. And so not to say that in-person marketing is basic, but it's just not the type of marketing that has brought me most of my success. Yeah, it can be, it can depend on a lot of different factors. So it's a multifactorial situation. You have a huge advantage being in a metro area. So content yes. marketing can help. In those cases, I mean, a lot of times, you know, digital cable and things of that nature, those also start to come into play when you're in a metro area. Like if you have multiple locations, for instance, like cable TV is not a bad idea. It's, it's usually not a good idea when you have one location, but that's why, uh, what would you call it? That's why social media marketing can be very effective because you can target specific places. Yes. And the tools that you get help you reach, especially if you're in a metro area like me, like Dallas has got millions of people, right? And the, the DFW Metroplex is even larger. And so, you know, you can get real nitty gritty and target, you know, five miles from your practice. That's what I did for the majority of the launch and just try and get people who, when they see your content, they're like, wow, this is so convenient. I literally live right down the street. How could I not go to this chiropractor? And as my, I don't know if you want to call it clout or just presence grew on social, then I started expanding out the radius from my office that I was marketing to, because when you would land on my pages, like on Instagram is where I'm biggest. I've got like 140,000 followers. So when you land there, you think, oh, this is the guy for Dallas. And so once I had enough followers that that was possible, then I started expanding and marketing to the whole city. But in the beginning, I kept it real tight, five to 10 miles radius from my office and just market it, market it, market it, market it. What do you think? So the listener is going to be like, okay, so what's the secret? And I'm, I think I'm experienced enough to say there's no secret. There are, what would you call them? There are truisms you have to stick to. There are rules and anyone can find those rules. So we're probably not going to go over all that tactical stuff here in the time we have, but what would you say are three 
things that really make social media marketing stand out? Like what three things would make you stand out? So one of the things I think is so important about social media marketing is that it's time leverage. So let's say I want to go and give a health talk or I want to go do a spinal screening. I can have my ads running while I'm there and you're essentially double dipping your marketing. So it's time leverage. Now, I didn't do that. I happened to just have my ads running while I was sitting on the couch watching TV. But it's very important that it's time leveraged and and you're also reaching way more people than you normally could. So, you know, one of my very first um, ads that I put out after a a month or so had about 25,000 views. So when you think about that in the local area, that's like a football stadium filled with people in your city who know that you exist now. And so what I always like to say to other docs when I'm talking about this, how many health fairs, spinal screenings, gym, you know, workout tip advice clinics would you have to do before 25,000 people in your city know that you exist? It's probably an awful lot. And so that's where you kind of come in to this leveraged position with social media, but it's all value driven. And that's, that's the most important part is because when you're doing content marketing, if the content sucks, you're going to get awful results, right? So you can't put up a stock photo of like the front of your clinic and say, we're so excited to welcome you to blog chiropractic, right? It's got to be the type of content that's popular right now, which is rich video content, vertical video content, and short form content. So we're talking about Instagram reels, TikToks, these 45 to 30 second videos filmed in vertical format. They need to look good. It needs to, to be high quality and value driven content. So you get to decide as a practitioner what you want to showcase. I happen to do mostly spinal manipulation in my clinic. So that's what I showcase as my content, uh, as my content. But that could be exercise tips and advice, stretching tips and advice. It could be um, some people are really into like biopsychosocial cognitive behavioral therapy type stuff. It's up to you what you want the content to be. But that content needs to be valuable enough that someone would see it and then want to share it with their friend. And that's what creates virality. That's what creates the the spread and the awareness. And where someone sees what you put out and thinks, I want that person to be my doctor. Yeah. How much do you think having a quote unquote edge matters? Uh, Distinction. Being being different, controversial. So it can definitely help. Obviously, like the more controversial you are, the more that that's going to spread. The the thing that I would say is you just want to be aware of how controversial you're going to be with your business, right? Like I've always been one of those people who tries to keep religion, politics, and all that stuff out of my business, because for every person that you attract, you're going to be repelling another person because you're taking that stance. So although it may make your content more viral or more compelling, it won't necessarily result in more business. And it may actually result in you alienating some of your patient base. So you have to be careful what you talk about in the clinic, careful what you do in your marketing. And so that is actually, I think you hit the nail on the head on one of the things we wanted to talk about today, which is the organic and viral marketing versus like paid marketing that's going to bring business. A lot of yes. time I talk to docs and they're like, oh, well, we tried social media. It didn't really work. I don't want to do TikTok dances. Like it only works if you have a million followers, right? And you can make a very good living, which I was doing well before I had this many followers on Instagram. I had like maybe 4,000, 5,000 followers when I was, had my clinic pulling in 20, 25,000 a month in revenue, solo. And so, you know, you don't have to have that following to make the money, but that's, that's where your targeted marketing efforts come into play. And then the, the organic content that you're producing and going out there that then has the added benefit of potentially going viral, potentially increasing your following and your exposure. And that's kind of just like a plus. So when you're setting out to do this and you're committing to the process of content marketing, you don't want to look at a video that gets like 200 views or maybe your video gets 50 views and you're like, oh my God, why am I even doing this? Why am I spending this time? The amount of views and the virality doesn't necessarily matter. You can have very small pages, very small channels, very low view counts and make very high revenue numbers because patients actually see your content, they come in and they become paying customers. And, and that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize about social media is the power that even small scale social has for your business. Oh, I say it all the time. I said, I'd rather have 200 views and like a 50% conversion rate than have 2 million views and 0.0005 conversion rate. I think that's the math. There might be another zero in there. Like if you've got a million people watching your videos and you live in a town of 15,000, obviously it's not your town watching the videos and it probably doesn't serve you that well 
when it comes to your business attracting patients. So exactly. Unless you want to sell some type of digital product or something, yeah, so absolutely. You have the ability to do that, then you can leverage that. But that's a yes. that's a whole nother conversation because maybe you're going to sell supplements or nutritional advice or a, a workout plans, whatever that's it is, right? right? That's but right. it doesn't have much to do with doctoring and with chiropractic. And so, you know, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do think, I mean, that is one topic. I think that's one way to go about it is like the controversial messaging. But I think there's also, so we, we have, uh, I won't call them out, but we have a FTCA intern, one of the students, great, great guy, intelligent, kind, smart, uh, clean cut, a veteran, served in the armed forces, just as boring as a polished rock. And I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, if you're going to do social media marketing, you need like a, you need a mohawk or you need a gold tooth. You need some sort of way to get people to look at you because a lot of social me- media marketing that I see that is still very painful to watch are people running, like you said, commercials for their practice. Like here's such and yes. such office and we're on third street, come see us. And I, I just don't think that cuts it. You've got to have some sort of edge. I'm not saying be controversial in your messaging. So there's got to be something in those those three first seconds or four or five first seconds where someone just does not scroll that last moment. Yes, has to be, the content that you're going to post has to be compelling and, and value-driven, like we said before. So, you know, those types of videos that used to work. And, and the problem is people take a like TV commercial mindset to social media. So right. it'll be them, they're standing in their office. Hey, this is Dr. Polson with Apex Chiropractic. And did you know that we're really great at treating headaches? If you know someone who has headaches, right? Like you're going to scroll away from that immediately because it doesn't, it doesn't provide any value. It's not particularly compelling. And then especially if you're bland looking or you don't have, you know, a very like attractive uh, physical appearance or voice, or there's nothing compelling about you speaking the words, people are just going to scroll. Right. And so, you know, if you're not someone who's particularly like a dynamic speaker or you're not very comfortable on camera, there are some things that you can do. Like you can stitch, it's called stitching, but you can take other people's content and then talk about it. So you may have someone else who's made a piece of content that's like exercise tips. And then you can come in as like a talking head or even just voice. Oh uh, yeah, I've seen those. They voice over say, like how shitty they were when they said that. And <laughs> yeah, so you can, you can follow criticize, me you can praise you can critique you can add you can subtract but you can you can do this whole thing where your channel is built around critiques or you know support from other people's content rather than having to make your own content as well and that is one way that you can you know if you're not very good at like standing and delivering to camera that you can still make valuable content that's less intensive on you good that's good now Pete you learned this somewhere did you piece all of this information together trial and error did you buy a way to do this whole hawk did you just hound other people who are excellent at social media marketing until you got the information you needed was there a continuing education course put on by some sort of organization (laughs) the answer is no to that one but no what did you do Yeah. So right when I started my practice and I was getting ready to, I was looking at a bunch of different like consultants and a lot of the docs will have this experience. It's like you graduate, somehow your name makes it onto everybody's email list. And then you have everyone in the world trying to sell you practice management tips. Yeah. I mean, it's your phone starts ringing off the hook with people trying to help you market, trying to help you advertise, trying to help you grow your practice. So I'd gone through a couple of these like free consult phone calls with people. I had hired somebody, paid them a few thousand dollars. It didn't really pan out and I was pretty jaded from it. And then I had another consultant reach out to me and I just happened to be in a good mood that day. So I picked up the phone and we talked and he offered me a lot of free value in that call. And I implemented some of the tips and it started working. I started seeing patients come in the doors. And so then I paid him a few thousand dollars to basically go through his Instagram kind of coaching process. And he taught me the fundamentals or the basics of creating advertisements and going through this on Instagram. And then from that process, I took those principles and expanded on them, moved into other platforms like TikTok and now into YouTube. And then I've also done a lot of like uh, watching videos about how you do the social media marketing, this whole process, what makes good content, a lot of trial and error. I've read a lot of books. There's a Dr. Um, 
is it Kevin Christie is Modern Chiropractic Marketing, or I think it's Done Right. Is his Do, book. I, I titled that book. I created. The oh, book. did you? Yeah, it's Doing It Right, Modern Doing Chiropractic right. Marketing. Yes, and that's that's an excellent book. I love that book. There's quite a few like platform specific books that I've read when it comes to TikTok, Instagram, and so on and so forth. And you'd be surprised. I always tell people this: if you want to learn something, you can just type that into YouTube. And I bet yeah. you can learn more about it in 24 hours than you really need to know to be dangerous. Oh, there are so and many so, yeah. levels to this. Like you paid a thousand, you paid thousands of dollars. Yes. Someone could definitely find information on YouTube. And if they're industrious enough, they could put it all together. There is uh, Kevin Christie's book, which is nice. It's very good. And then all of that stuff that we talk about and Kevin Christie talks about, we have in the Chiropractic Success Academy. That's 99 a month. It's really like all that information is out there. It's just how hungry you are to grab it. Yes. What is your comfort level for investment versus work? Because obviously the, the investment saves you the time that you have to actually go out there and work. But we all have it out here. It's not, that's what I, we were talking about off the air before we started the podcast is like, is this easy or is it hard? And some people will be like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. And other docs will be like, this is so easy. And it's yeah. really not just perspective, but it's your willingness to pursue information or invest in information and actually apply it. It's interesting too, because that's something that I used to say about chiropractic school is I don't think that chiropractic school, at least to me, it's not necessarily hard so much as it is a lot of work. And what yeah. you really have to learn to do is to create a checklist of everything that has to get done and do one thing, focus on it till it's done and then go to the next thing. And that, that same process that I learned how to do, because I used to be very all over the place. I'd be that person who have five projects started, none of them finished. And chiropractic school kind yeah. of broke me of that because I had to hit deadlines. I had to do the things that had to get done. And I found that opening a practice or starting a business or learning to market, really learning anything, is exactly that same way. It's not necessarily that it's hard in that you know we can assume most people will not be able to do it. It's just that you have to, commit to doing the steps, following the process, one thing, then the next thing, then the next thing, until you've acquired the skills or completed the tasks, and now your practice is open, or now you understand how to run an ad on Instagram. And then it's a constant process of refinement. So like my first videos, the lighting's not very good. It looks like I'm filming in a cave. You know, I've got it in a square aspect ratio because I came in right before Instagram switched everything to reels. So there's a lot of adapting, learning. Now my lighting in my office is specifically designed for filming. You know, like the lighting's good. The framing's good. I'm learning to fix my video pacing so that the pacing is good. And as I'm learning all these skills and refining the process, my engagement is going up. My views are going up. My new patient numbers are going up. And this is all the result of the steady, gradual improvements. But you can never make those improvements if you don't get started. I some docs, yeah. I feel like if they don't have the complete roadmap in front of them, they can't start. And if you can't start, you'll just never make any progress. And, you know, to me, those are the traditional students. Those are the ones that have gone through the traditional path and they're used to having things laid out to them in a syllabus. And if you do this, you will get this. And if you do the next thing, you will get this next thing. And the unconventional docs that have come in and they've made their own way in their own world, they know that they can create their own path. They just have a personal responsibility to execute the path that they create, which is what you're demonstrating. And I think that's the fundamental, like there are fundamental archetypical positions that people jump into in this profession. And, and I, I, that's one of the things that I've been observing and writing about in my own personal writing are the arch archetypes that produce a certain type of chiropractor. And yes, the ones that are traditional, they're like, I want this all mapped out for me. And I want to know what the result's going to be if I do it. And I really have to tell a lot of people, there are no guarantees. There are no results. There is just do. You do, and then you reflect, take notes, do again, see what you get from that. And then you slowly and steadily improve as you go, but you don't quit. Just as long as you don't yeah. ever quit. If you I pay attention and you don't quit, you're going to win eventually. I, I think that, that we all kind of have an innate understanding of that. It's How dare I said you? How innate, dare I know. Gosh, I just, as soon as it came oh, out of my mouth. <laughs> we, all, we all have an understanding of this because we all made it through chiropractic school, right? So you, you had some courses that you were getting worse grades in, and I'm sure that you put in effort to study and you refined what you were studying or how you were studying and got a better grade in your course. And I'm sure that your first adjustment 
was much worse than your most recent adjustment. So you're paying attention to what you're doing when you're adjusting or what you're doing when you're prescribing exercise, the results, and then refining based on that. So we all should implicitly understand what it's like because we've all done it. We've all watched the results of our actions and then refined. And so what's hard for me is when I'm kind of like trying to help docs with their social media or something like that. And they're like, well, I don't know how to make my videos better. It's like, well, okay, what makes a good video? How can we make our video closer to a good video? And how can we just get started and fix things as we go along on that process? Yeah, that's a quick start model. And quick starters typically are better entrepreneurs. They will get something going, even though it's not perfect. And they'll keep going and then they'll refine it as they go. Or they'll outsource and optimize a staff as they're scaling to make it go better for them later on. Yes. Uh, let me see if my current mod, mo my current mode of educating folks about content marketing is accurate. Do you convert people to an email list? I do not. And okay. the reason why I don't do that is somewhat unique to the platforms, but on Instagram, for example, there's no need to ask someone for their email because if someone likes your post comments on your post, or they DM you, or they follow you, you get a notification. And if you click on their name and go to their profile, you have the message ability in the Instagram app, for example. Now, I'm using Instagram because that's the most successful platform for me, um, but other platforms have their own idiosyncrasies. So I have no need to try to capture someone's contact information because as soon as they engage with me, I've already captured it. And then I can send them a message, an outbound message to try and convert them into a patient. Um, and that's much less resistance than, yeah. than trying to get people to fill out a contact form. So what you'll find is that your cost per lead acquisition or least lead generation is way down when you use this type of marketing, because rather than trying to convince someone to fill out a form and agree to be contacted, you're just trying to convince someone to like, comment, or engage with you. And as soon as they do that, you got them, so to speak, right? And then you can send that outbound and see if they're interested. And then at that point, it's more a conversation. I tend to be like, hey, this is Dr. Polson. I saw that you liked one of our videos. You know, we've actually got a special going on right now if you want to come in. Um, have you ever been to the chiropractor before? And I just start like that. And then we let the conversation go. And eventually, hopefully, what I'm aiming for is that they agree to come in and, and try it out and be a patient. Is that automated? It is not automated, but it is copy pastable. So uh, you're big, working. Your work. Yeah, big chunks of the work are automatable. And there are probably, uh, I know that for, for a fact, there are software programs and things that could automate it, but I like to have that personal control over the conversation and specific aspects of it. Because as soon as someone thinks that they're in a conversation with a bot, your conversion rates are going to go way down. Sure. No. I so yeah, that. it's one of those things where, especially in the beginning, when you're money poor and time rich, very good uh -huh. strategy because you have all the time in the world to have these conversations with people. As that equation begins to flip and you become more financially capable and you have less time, then you're looking for ways that you can automate this. And I do a lot less outbound DMs now because of the way my social platforms have grown and my um, authority, so to speak, in the city has grown. So I don't have to do as much outbounding. I get a lot more inbound. Interesting. No, that's great. So that, that creates other questions in my mind, which are probably extra credit to this podcast, but I'll probably, I'll probably have to hit you up later about that. Cause that's, that's a fascinating thing. I didn't really comprehend about Instagram. Okay. So three things here, three things, three, three metrics a doc should measure or look for when they're doing social media marketing. Um, what should they be, what well, should they be measuring? So the most important thing to analyzing your content, I think would be shares and saves on whatever platform you're on, the more that people are sharing your content for free, it's like, like if I spend a dollar to put this ad in front of a hundred people's eyes, and then they share that with their friends for free, that's now free marketing that I'm gaining from that marketing dollar. It also is a, it's an indicator of how valuable your content is. Because if you make content that is not valuable, that people don't like, why would they send that to someone that they know, love, or care about, right? Or why would they save it to come back to and view again later? So the more saves and shares that you have, so I know people like to look at views, people like to look at likes and comments, but to me, the most valuable indicators are shares and saves, because that is a direct indicator of the value of your content. After that, you can start looking at the comments, the likes, the views, because something may be viewed a lot because it's controversial, 
and a controversial post may not necessarily result in very much new business. Right. But something, something that's shared very highly will reach more people who could potentially be good patients for you. And so that's why I think there's a little bit of a difference between your view count and your share count. Perfect. Cause I would think, uh, yeah, I could, I could poop on the stage and a whole bunch of people would view that and like it, but that doesn't mean they're going to share it. They don't find it valuable. And I, right. I think some people are creating content that is pretty much equal to poop on the stage. And then they, they run around saying, look how many people liked my thing. Look at how many people viewed it. 2 million people viewed my post. Well, that was because you were just talking out of your ass. It wasn't anything that was valuable. If you're trying to build a practice, that wasn't anything that was valuable for sure. Yes. And at the end of the day, you also want to look at just like how many conversations is this generating for the practice? Because conversations are what lead to conversions. So are we getting a lot of conversations off of this content or not? Are we able to then convert people in our local area into uh, patients because of this content or not? And so, you know, those are the different indicators, but especially in the beginning when you're you're kind of taking stabs in the dark. You're not sure what's going to be an effective style of communication, an effective video format. Right. So let's say you make 10 pieces of content. Most of the time, if you start replicating your highest performing one or two in terms of shares and saves, and you continue to refine on that style, you're going to continue to see success. And that's how you get feedback from the platform. And then you continue to give the platform more of what it wants. And as long as you're kind of doing that in a way that is still, you know, appropriate for a chiropractor, for a doctor, for a clinician, um, you will start to see your influence in your community grow, the number of new patients grow. And then what's always, it cracks me up. This is somewhat unrelated. Docs will be like, oh, well, you know, those are social media patients. I was like, do they not have brothers, sisters, wives, husbands, cousins? Like when a patient comes in from social media, they result in the same amount of organic you know, referral business to your practice as any other new type of patient. Yeah, it's you not just like got you don't them do from the a different things. source. Yeah, it's not like exactly. you don't send out your birthday cards or whatever you do. Yes. They'd be like, well, how's retention? It's like, well, the retention is going to be as good as your retention strategies are in your practice. Yeah. That's, so. there's before marketing, before somebody becomes a patient, there's as they are a patient marketing, and you might not, most people don't realize that, that you still sort of market to them, but it's mostly value delivery with the service. You give a good adjustment that is marketing <laughs> for the value of your practice. You get results that's marketing for the value of your practice. And then there's after unit marketing, which is what you do once they're no longer your patient. Yeah, yes. And I think top of mind. this is another thing that I think at sometimes docs are surprised when I talk about this is your social media posts. If for me in my practice, it's adjusting videos. That is a form of patient retention because my patients in my practice, they all follow me on Instagram. Right. And so they see me adjusting someone on Instagram. They may have not been in for a month or two. They go, oh, that's right. I really should go see Dr. Polson. My back hurts. And I've had patients come in and tell me, oh, doc, I loved your video you posted last week. It reminded me to make my appointment. And so the effort that you're putting in to acquire new patients is also simultaneously part of your patient retention strategy when you're doing content marketing on social. That's perfect. Uh, I want you to close out this podcast by thinking of the soon to graduate, the just graduated, the new doc out there or new doc to be and give them some words of advice, some words of hope, <laughs> possibility. So, you know, I, I was in your shoes and I remember looking at the kind of sea of possibilities in front of me. And I remember being worried that I might not be able to make a practice and make it work. I remember being worried that I might end up in a low paid associateship and I might be unhappy. I remember being worried that I might go into an associateship hoping to learn how to run a practice. And then a few years later, realize I hadn't learned how to run a practice. All I did was run someone else's business. And I, I understand that it's a scary and kind of a confusing time. And I just want to encourage you to think about your personality type. If you think you're someone who could put themselves out there a little bit more than you have been. And if you think that you could run a solo doc, cash only, no staff practice, because it's very accessible to a new graduate. I have a colleague in my class who opened her practice for $4,000 on a credit card and got open and seeing patients. I was a little bit more excessive. I bought some nicer things than I needed did it for $8,000. But if you have a credit card, you have access to that limited amount of capital, you could get your business open, you could start making a very comfortable 
net take home. And you could have one of the best first years in practice that anyone could hope for. If you're willing to put yourself out there and take a little bit of a leap and realize that most of the things you need to learn in life and in business, you're going to have to learn for yourself anyways. So put that responsibility on yourself and just go grab the life that you want. Perfect. Well, why do you do this? What, what's I the really, game here? For chiropractic or for? For life. What's, what's life all about here? I really like helping people, you know, so I get to go to the office all day and help people with their pain. And then when I'm talking to students or other clinicians or trying to help them with my adjusting seminars or with some of my, you know, business or marketing seminars, I just want to help people have more success and have more of what they want in life. So I figured out a way that works very well to market on social media. If I can help you replicate that and make a successful practice that that just makes my day. And the same thing is I found some ways that are really good for me for adjusting patients and work really well. If I can help you be better at adjusting patients, that makes my day. And then for my, my patients in my practice, every, every patient that leaves with less pain and a smile on their face, I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about. You, there's not many professions where you can make a very good living in a very ethical way and help people all day, every day. And I just, I, I thank God every day that I am not having to do anything slimy to make money and that I can really be a, a good force in this world and provide for my family very well. So that Nailed might be a little cliche, it. but that's no, <laughs> the cliches happen for a reason. That's one of the best cliches to have right there. <laughs> uh, I appreciate the time you've given to us and um, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Yeah. Thank you for you having are. me. It was, it was a pleasure to be here. You are emerging as someone with a tremendous level of knowledge that once again, under the radar, we could say anyone can acquire this knowledge if they go out and get it. Um, but it's good to see it all consolidated in one great person. And that is you, my friend. Thank so you. Dr. Paulson, if anyone wanted to reach out to you and ask you any questions, uh, hit you up, where can they hit you up at? Obviously, they should follow your Instagram. And then after yes. that... And Instagram is probably the best place to get a hold of me. I spend most of my free time on, on Instagram <laughs> in some capacity or another. So my Instagram handle is at Strat Polson, S-T-R-A-T, Polson, P-O-U-L-S-O-N. And all you got to do is shoot me a DM. I love talking to students. I love talking to clinicians. Um, if you want more information about things, we can chat. We can, you know, talk about whatever you want to talk about. I'm People tell me that I'm remarkably open and, and giving of my time and it's fun for me. So it doesn't feel like a chore to talk to people. And I'd love to talk to you on Instagram. No, you're one of my favorite type of people. Uh, seems stoic. Your feet are on the ground. You obviously get some grass on your feet every now and again. That's my new favorite, like social media term is like touch grass, touch grass, man. Get out and do <laughs> some hiking, roll around a little bit, get choked out, whatever, whatever it takes, but uh, touch grass, man. <laughs>